Hello, this is Pastor Pete Beck III with LifeNet in Burlington, North Carolina. Welcome to today's podcast, which is the 22nd article in a series entitled Wonderful Counseling. You can read the other articles by going to my website, thirdpeter.com. Today's article is entitled, How Do People Become Demonized? How do demons gain access to people? Can they simply jump on someone? Are we helpless before them? Is there anything we can do to protect ourselves and free ourselves from their oppression? These are all good questions that I'll attempt to answer in this and future articles. Thankfully, demons cannot randomly demonize anyone they choose God is sovereign and the devil can only operate within God's permission. If you're not convinced of this, try reading the book of Job. If demons could oppress anyone and everyone at will, we would see significant demonization everywhere. In general, God protects us from Satan and his minions, but certain things can open the door to demonic oppression. Demons are all around us, to be sure, but for them to be able to significantly oppress us, they must somehow gain access to us. God's protective barrier must be breached. Solomon gave us insight into how this can happen, and I read from Ecclesiastes 10.8. He who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. That's from the New American Standard Bible. In general, we, or someone who has protective authority over us, must break through God's protective wall by sinning to open the door to demonization. Adam took the lead in this, but our ancestors and living members of our families, along with other authority figures whom God gave to protect us, sometimes fail miserably at their responsibility and actually facilitate those under their care to suffer oppression. Demons gain access to harass people in a number of ways. If we think of them as flies, it can be helpful. Interestingly, one of the devil's names is Lord of the Flies or Beelzebub. Flies are attracted to putrefaction and wounds. Where these two things are present, flies usually will be on hand. One can spend his time swatting flies or treating what attracted them in the first place. Over the long haul, the latter course of action will be the most effective. One way to think of this is that demons look for a wound, a nest, or a hook in people to set up shop. Because unhealed traumatic inner pain is so devastating, it cries out to be resolved. If we do not find healing in Christ, demons often come knocking to offer their version of assistance. I can offer a couple of examples from my own ministry experience. A certain young man was abandoned as a child and treated horribly by significant adults in his life. 
As you can imagine, he developed a deep-seated rage. He eventually realized that he gained a certain level of notoriety and prestige of sorts when he allowed himself to be taken over by rage and became violent. He was physically quite strong. A spirit of rage became his trusted friend and helper. I remember telling him that he was going to need to let go of that and start trusting God to be his protector. At that point and into the known present, he has been unwilling to make that transition. The nest this demon settled in was composed of the pain associated with abandonment and abuse, coupled with the lie that rage was his only hope of being someone significant. I suspect that he was not the first person in his family line to make this connection with the spirit of rage. Another example was a woman who unwittingly was exposed to a spirit of death, most likely when her mother took her to see a spiritualist who channeled demons. During a particularly painful time in her life, she would console herself with the thought that if things got bad enough, she could always escape through death. This is one of the perverse ways the devil seeks to solve our problems. When we identified the spirit, she was initially hesitant to get rid of her longtime friend, not realizing how malevolent it was. It had been a sort of safety net for her. We asked the Holy Spirit to reveal to her the nature of the spirit, which he did on the spot. Once she made the decision to renounce it, we commanded it to leave, and she was set free. She told me later that she was amazed at how free she felt afterwards. This evil friend had been with her a long time, weighing her down in ways she had not realized. The devil usually wants to remain hidden from view, operating in darkness. In addition to trauma, certain personal sins can be gateways to demonization. Let me give a few examples. Involvement in the occult is especially sinister. This can be something seemingly innocuous as children experimenting with a Ouija board or tarot cards. Likewise, sexual activity with demonized people can open the door to oppression. In general, if we abandon ourselves to sin, we run the risk of demonization. Unfortunately, we can also be demonized when others sin against us. Sexual and other forms of abuse by adults may open the door to demonic oppression in its victims. I know this does not seem fair, but the devil does not care a bit. He is what we might be called an equal opportunity oppressor. When parents and other trusted adults fail to be protectors of those under their care, but instead open the door to evil in their homes, children may be scarred for life. After all, the entire human race came under the devil's thumb because of the sin of Adam. Conversely, we experience freedom because of the obedience of Christ. Sometimes demons are passed down generationally. I remember working with a woman who was experiencing recurring nightmares 
During ministry, I discovered that her grandmother was trying to recruit her to take up the family tradition of witchcraft. She renounced any such involvement and claimed her freedom in Christ from this torment. The nightmare stopped immediately. A great first step in getting rid of demons is to remove what gave them access in the first place. A way to look at this is to imagine that we have a front and a back door to our hearts. If we kick demons out of the front door without locking the back door, what good have we done? Matthew 12, 43 through 45. The first step toward gaining freedom is to close and lock the back door, the place where demons gained access to our lives in the first place. This means we must first deal with bitterness, personal sins, generational sins, lie-based strongholds, and traumatic pain. Then we will be ready to be set free.